State of the Industry podcast. This episode is brought to you by the KP Movement Institute, offering online and in-person coaching services for those seeking pain-free movement, peak athletic performance, or to improve their overall health. Whether you've been training for years or are just starting out, the coaches at the KP Movement Institute will create a personalized training solution that fits your specific needs. Not only will you optimize your movement and function, but you'll be educated, empowered, and inspired towards a healthier and more active lifestyle. Contact info at kineticperformance.ca to set up your complimentary consultation today. Welcome back to the State of the Industry podcast. It is so great to be back from my short recording hiatus. My wife and I just recently got a new puppy, so I've been uh, taking charge of the puppy training, and it has proven to be a full-time job. Anybody who's ever had a puppy knows exactly what I'm talking about. But we're back this week with a doozy of an episode. I have an old friend from the great land of Oz joining me for the next two weeks, Ian O'Dwyer. I met Ian when I was over at the Phylex conference in Sydney several years ago, and it was evident from the start, not just because he's a huge amount of fun, especially when you go out and have a few drinks, but when I walked into a session of his I, it was just so obvious that he just has a very, very unique way of thinking about the body, how it moves, and how the tissues all interact during movement. And these all have to be considered when you are working with a client. It can't just be about the physical. It also has to be about the mental and the emotional side of things as well. Now, for those of you who may not know Ian, Ian is the director and founder of OD on Movement, a company with a passion for empowering clients to move and feel better while helping trainers and health professionals around the world do the same through education. In his journey, he's delivered over 500 workshops, many of which I have had the pleasure of being at, at some of the top fitness facilities and conferences around the world. During these next two episodes, Ian shares his thoughts on how to create better relationships with clients through empowerment, how to look at the human body and not just the human being when training, as well as how to utilize play in training to optimize outcomes. Open your brain tank, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome, Ian O'Dwyer, or OD, as you are affectionately known the world over by friends and colleagues to the State of the Industry podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, and uh, I don't know if it's today or tomorrow because I always get confused. I know <laughs> Oz is a day ahead, so I'm just Correct. really confused whether to say today, like thanks for joining me today, or tomorrow. I'm, anyways, welcome. Just thank you for joining me in the future. Ed. That's yeah. all I'm gonna say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great Oz, to talk to you, champion. Oz is always in the future. Awesome. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's been a while since we've talked. It's been uh, a, a long time. But ever since I started thinking about doing a podcast and who I might want to have on and what topics I wanted to discuss, you have, since I started, been on that list. It's been, 
I remember going to a conference session of yours at Phylex and I sat in the room and at this point I hadn't presented at a conference yet. So this is like, I'm still just absorbing information at this point, but I walk in and sitting on my right on one wall is Perry Nicholson. And then on another wall is uh, Thomas Myers. And I'm just like, all right, I just did an interview with you about 20 minutes ago, because I <laughs> went to a course of yours. And I just did a pre conference session with you. And you're both here to hear him. All right, I, we gotta, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fill up my brain tank here and just listen. Oh, yeah, man. I must admit that um, the industry allows us not often, but it allows us to catch up. And it's, I think the beautiful thing we all understand, Ed, is that when we can share time with each other, whether it's Perry, whether it's Chuck Wolf, whether it's Thomas Myers, um, Anthony Kerry, you know, Bobby Capuccio, Roddy Corn, Scotty Hobbit, whoever it may be, people who are what I term as visionaries in the industry, when you get a chance to even listen to them, even though they're your friends, to be in the same room as them, I, I, I jump at every chance as well, because it just creates that that understanding at a greater level on all levels, not just from a knowledge perspective, but also from the integrity, from the authenticity, from you know, the relationship perspectives all across the board. It's, um, we always make a conscious effort to catch up with each other. And I think sitting in each other's you know, sessions are always fun because that's when the banter starts, right? That's when the yeah. questions start. That's when, and people get to see, we're not islands unto ourselves. It's not, you know, Thomas Myers' way. It's not Chuck Wolf's way. It's not Scott mm. Hobson's way. It's not Perry's. We're just people who observe and, and we're practitioners and we are at the cutting face of everything that's happening and we just want to share. Yeah. So if it turns into a conversation rather than a learning experience, that's the best storytelling experience you can get. So, you know, much to, I think, the, uh, the next time that we're going to have today is going to be nothing more than storytelling and i think that's where the where the art really starts to to make a difference yeah and i i think that brings up a a great point that we're all just in this for one reason right we all just want to improve the clients the people that we see right like we're not in it uh you know not all of us are in it to make, you know, millions of dollars in the fitness industry, because typically that's not something that happens in the fitness yeah. industry, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So anytime you have that opportunity to go and listen to somebody or talk to somebody yeah. and gather more questions that you can then ask yourself that you can research, or maybe yeah. even, as you said, have that conversation with the person if they've got the time, that's yeah. a great way for you to improve. And then you to then improve the clients that you see in the the industry in itself. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. So how did you get to where you are now? Like your path through the industry, I'm sure is different. Not conventional. Yeah. So can you just walk, just walk the listeners through kind of how you got to where you are now? Yeah, I think Ed, the beautiful thing about what I've learned about this industry is it's the people who have a difference that really, and, I, and I'll call it a uniqueness, um, who really start to bring the industry together. And there's a few people in the industry who have uniquenesses and it's whether it's been experiences or whether it's been um, visions that they've had or whether it's been you know the way that they systemize things. And, and for me, I didn't expect to be in this industry doing what I'm doing initially because family of eight boys and one girl, um, grew up with horses. Dad was a horse, what I call a horse listener. 
he had a team of draft horses and he used to he used to create dams and channels before he had bulldozers and excavators and various mm. types of machinery so you can imagine in that situation and and that was you know i was not born and when he was functioning in that area but we had horses all the way through and the horses were a hugely incredibly important part of our family and Interestingly enough, I didn't understand at the time, but the horses taught me about movement, about motion. But they also taught me, my dad, my brothers taught me, working with animals, working with horses, about connection and about observation and about the humility. Mm. Because an animal will tell you straight away whether they accept you or don't accept you. And then, you know, growing up as a kid, very sporting family, played all sorts of sports from tennis to basketball to cross-country running, running was my strength, then got into AFL football. And that was my passion. And, you know, going through the pathway of AFL football, the way we conditioned people back in those days, and unfortunately still in some areas, wasn't congruent to how we played the game. Our game is a three-dimensional game that you jump, twist, turn, you can move in any direction, you use handball, you use football, as in kicking. Um, but we typically trained our bodies in a linear, very lever-based philosophy which mm -hmm. for me created a lot of tissue breakdown a lot of injuries so the one thing I learned from a very young age is I lost my eye at three cut out with a knife and at five I had to have it taken out it got hit at school Blake hit me in the eye and then that taught me straight away that tissue can adapt mm -hmm. and once again in your journey in your process you're not aware of it this this stage so coming into sport and having all of these, all these injuries and whether it was broken bones, knee operations, muscles or fascial torn off bones, um, whether it was chronic pain, there was lots of things that I had to deal with that I could actually change. But the philosophy we were using in Australia at the time to rehabilitate, recondition, didn't really help me do that. In fact, I succeeded in spite of what they were doing, not because of what they were doing. No. Not that their intention was incorrect, but it just wasn't the way the body actually worked. Mm -hmm. So... Then you fast forward from all those injuries, all that pain, all that emotional turmoil and mental turmoil into you had to have some type of um, background, some sort of trade. So I went into a plumbing trade because eight boys, one girl, as I said, so there was three plumbers and two builders and blah, blah, mm. blah. So what the plumbing really did for me was taught me how to problem solve. And that problem solving was about how could I take something old and something new and, and make them work together mm -hmm. a bit like the body. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting because when you start to look at my phases of life, all it's done is given me skills to be able to understand that one, you've got to be able to connect with people. You've got to be able to observe people. You've got to be able to have the humility to know that you don't know. Then two, you actually then know that tissue can adapt and you can actually, you know, lose a bicep, long head of the bicep, and it can still actually the shoulder will still work quite comfortably over a period of time if you condition it correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and then plumbing, problem solving. How do I take someone who comes into my practice, who's in pain, who's got some type of, you know, compromisation in their movement, and how do I change their tissues? So then in 1997, I did a diploma in fitness, thinking I was going into fitness, and little did I know I'd finish up going into performance coaching, movement, you know, coaching in that in that in that realm so yeah. and along the way you've had the privilege to work with some of the best names in the world yeah yeah i like those three uh like you mentioned four points but like three really caught my eye 
problem solving connection and then observation, mm -hmm. right? So being able mm -hmm. to do those three things with humility, kind of yeah. overarching all of that is a great way to think about every interaction that any trainer, strength coach, or allied health professional, health professional has going yeah. in and speaking to a client because there is buy-in that needs to happen. There is uh, emotional and mental stress mm -hmm. and, and other issues there that are, or things that need to be thought about and considered when we're dealing with what has typically, as you said, been done, just physical, you know, linear based yeah. movement. Yeah. So with that, what would you, if you were to define like your philosophy when it comes to your training, right? So when you train or you bring clients in, what would you say is yep. like your philosophy of movement and of training? I can say after 22 years of professionally doing this now, it's pretty easy to define what I do. I help people self-care and tissue manage their, their tissues to be able to move, feel, and live better. Mm -hmm. Now, if we unpack that a little bit, self-care, you know, all the way through life, I was never taught about self-care because people were going to fix me. You know, yeah. I had physical therapists and chiropractors and conditioning coaches and osteos and, and um, orthopedic surgeons, all those sorts of people who were going to fix me. But at the end of the day, no one ever fixes you mm -hmm. because they're fixing the human body, not the human being. Yeah. So the first thing that I identified, and I actually identified with a great friend of mine, um, Rodney Korn, that there's, there's really not a lot of self-care systems in the world. It's spoken about a lot, but there's yeah. not actually self-care systems out there. And then tissue management. Well, it's kind of funny, mate, because when we think about tissue management, we normally talk about nerve, muscle, bone. Now, that never made sense to me because when we look at the body, muscles don't stretch. Bones, we, we typically think are hard and they're not. And we thought, because we were told that nerves actually, you know, the brain controlled movement and it doesn't. Well, that sort of takes those three tissues and says, well, hang on, what are their roles? Well, their roles are to play with the other tissues of the body, which is fascia and skin and blood and lymph. Mm -hmm. Because without those seven tissues, we can't function, we can't operate, we can't be effective, we can't be efficient, we can't perform. Mm -hmm. So really, self-care, tissue management to help people move, feel and live better. And that really just talks about how do I get people to perform at the level or area that they need to perform in a manner in which they can control it. Yeah. And I love the, like, uh, honestly, but we'll touch on both of those points. <laughs> Self-care, as you said, is it's talked a lot about, but not a lot of people do it. And mm -hmm. I wonder if that's almost um, our way of just almost conceding to what the general population comes in often thinking right like mm -hmm. i know even from my experience you have clients come in and they're like how are you what are you going to do for me like how are you going to mm -hmm. do this for me what am i going to feel on the other side it's like well that all depends on you right like i can't i can't move for you i can't you know i can teach you how to do things i can't feel for you yeah so uh giving them things to do to help them feel and this kind of goes into it a whole nother conversation about how we judge the quality of training, right? Like most people, 
I know specifically in North America, it's a big thing is like, if you're not sore after a workout, you're not hugely fatigued, then, then you haven't done anything. And that's um, the sad part, right, Ed? Like that's that's yeah. that no pain, no gain mentality again. That is just is just ludicrous, yeah. ludicrous. Yeah. So yeah, I always like to use the kind of the terms like blood, sweat, and tears. Like that's usually what we're looking for after a training session. If you don't have tears, yep. you're not bleeding, or you yep. know, you're not sweating profusely. Then I ha- I, yep. I have a trainer haven't have done you a disservice, right? I haven't mm-hmm. pushed you hard enough. And so let's maybe get into that conversation about the how we actually should be looking at the training program itself and how we yep. judge whether or not because from a like within session wait there's it's hard for somebody to take a step back and think about the long-term adaptation that I'm looking for yep. versus like I want to see change in an instant right that yep. that instant pill I take and yep. all of a sudden something's better so what would you say to you know a trainer or somebody who is new to the industry thinking about how do I judge the quality of an individual session inside of like the program as a whole? I think our first thing we've got to do to be able to do that is connect. And part of connection is communication. Biggest Mm -hmm. part of communication is listening. So for me, you know, communication is not just verbal. It's obviously what you observe, what you feel, what the energy is like. But if we just went back to the very basis and said, as a coach or trainer, the questions you might want to ask is, what would you like to get over or out of this 12-week program or this, you know, this next 10 sessions? Mm-hmm. So what's the outlying goal of these sessions? And then as we go through each session, what would you like to get out of the session today? Mm-hmm. Now, you might talk about a person who's got back pain. So at the end of the 10 sessions, you want them to be reasonably pain-free or discomfort-free. Now, just imagine if in the very first session, you reduce their pain by 50%, and yet their first session was they just wanted to be able to move, Mm -hmm. right? So it's interesting because we can ask them what they want and then for me, you'd sort of say, okay, a person comes in with back pain, you say, all right, it's back pain. And let's call it just a general back pain. I'm not going to get specific on it because yep. we know there's, there's multitudes of it. Yeah. Now, if, as, a, is a, as a coach, and I want to build some confidence with that person, all I want to do is try and empower people. So if I can empower people to take control of what they're doing, then all of a sudden that control allows them to self-care their way and self-manage their way through these 10 sessions because if i do my job properly that person may not want to need to come back or may not need to come back and see me after 10 sessions but that person's probably going to go and tell 10 other people that wow this person gave me 10 sessions on pain free how do i know that because i've been doing my job for 22 years and that's what happens in my business ad i don't advertise i never have yeah i am all word of mouth because I don't want people to be with me three times a week for the next 10 years because that system has failed miserably in our industry. Yeah. But in a population of 40,000 people that I have, if I can see a cross-section of people in a rotating system of let's call it 90 days, you can't keep up. Your business is just through the roof. Yeah. And that's what happens, right? So if I was to say to a person who comes into me and says, okay, 
you want to be have a pain reduction in 10 sessions perfect just imagine if i said to you that 60 to 65 percent of lower back pain comes from lack of range of motion in the ankle complex now that's a fact that's research based and i'm going to give you some simple movements now that are going to be within your threshold and i want you to feel what happens when i give you those movements and those movements might be what we call a sit and reach a squat but a squat is something that you take your backside to the ground on, where a sit and reach is you sit to where you feel the first tension in the tissue. Mm -hmm. Now, if I got that sit and reach and I manipulated maybe by changing foot position or driving the hips in different directions and then got them to move again, I'll guarantee you their pain, their discomfort, their tissues will feel different. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, what have you done for the relationship, for the connection? One, I've empowered them by, by giving them some feedback that we actually know that the back is connected to the foot. And if we get the foot to move a bit better, then the pain in the back can potentially decrease. We've now performed an exercise within their threshold. So therefore they're not feeling compromised, forced, intimidated or bullied. And now they move, whether it be a, a walking gait or a sitting position or something that they do that you've used as a metric, and then they feel change. Mm -hmm. Well, now you've become a hero because in one session, you've done what they were hoping to get in 10. So it gives them hope that now going forward, they're going to be able to take control. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, Ed? Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's a simple process, but the biggest thing has got to be as a coach or trainer, the first thing we've got to do is connect. If we can connect through listening to what their goals are, and I'll give you another example. I had a lady come in about 12 months ago and she said, when she was 63, lovely lady. And she came in and we were talking and I said, so what do you want, you know, out of these, out of these next five sessions? Cause she said, oh, look, I just want to come in and I think I can get stronger in five sessions. I said, um, okay, can you define what stronger is to me? Cause I thought five was a funny number that she gave me. Like she was going to get stronger yeah. in five sessions, right? Yeah. And she said, ah, oh. She said, I want to be heard. I thought, wow. Hmm. Now that's big ad, right? That, like, yeah. You know, at 58 for me to have the patience to ask her what strength means, because if we're on the same wavelength, if our language is the same, if I understand what her defining terms are for words, then I've got a better chance of giving her an outcome, right? Yeah. So we did a couple of simple self-fascial mobilizers. We played a game and she walked out of the session and she said, when do you want to see me again? I said, listen, do me a favor, go home and give me a call in a couple of days and let me know how you're feeling. Well, she rang me and she said, I can't believe my conversation with my, with my husband's gone through the roof. He's listening to me. I feel great. I said, perfect. You don't need five sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it great I, ad? Like yeah. you can reconnect people like that. Yeah. But I had to ask, what what does strength mean to you first? Mm -hmm. And I think for any trainer, strength coaches, allied health professionals who are actually listening, understanding, don't just assume you know what your client is talking about because they said a buzzword that you've, okay, so strength. <laughs> I know what strength is. Strength <laughs> is nervous, like, right? Like most people, they hear strength. They're like, all right, lift heavy weights. Let's go, let's, right? That's, let's go. That's how I gain strength, right? I got to lift heavy things if I want to be strong. But yeah, asking 
what does strength mean to you is a great way to, to get through that. And it, I think that gets back to, you know, understanding the why behind why that client is actually there. And, you know, when we talk about, like I, I t- we talk about goal setting all the time when we do like personal training certifications or anything like that. And talking about the consult and getting to the why and understanding that it's an emotional thing. And if you can yeah. still ask, okay, well, but why do you want to do that? That's a big, like, why is a question we probably stopped asking when our parents kept telling us, stop, stop, stop asking stop me why, asking just why. take my answer. <laughs> and then we stop asking why. And then like, we're not inquisitive. We don't have any curiosity anymore. So I liked, like, I love that. It's fantastic. And it's simple, Adam. It's simple. It's, it's, yeah. you, you know, it's not that you've got to teach a coach 300 exercises that are, that don't look like life. Um, it's not that they've got to become psychologists. It's not that they've got to delve into their, it's a simple thing. How do I connect with this person? Firstly, find out what their goal is, mm-hmm. what they want from the long-term relationship that we've got here. And then today, what can I do for you today? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the session, re-ask that question. On a scale of zero to 10, how did we go today with reaching your outcome for today? Oh, it was about a seven. Okay. How could I have made that an eight? Oh, I would have liked a bit more play or I would have liked to do a bit more movement or I would have liked a perfect. So that note goes in their program. And next time we do something away, we go, we add a bit more of that into their Mm program. Easy. Yeah. I think that also maybe scares some trainers thinking that they have to think on their feet, as you said, problem solve and maybe adjust the program that they've created that goes outside of what they've probably been taught in traditional personal training certifications. Yeah. Um, so you, can I ask you a question? Of course. You've been in this industry a long time. How many times have you followed a program exactly word for word through 12 weeks, 24 weeks or whatever the time frame has been? Oh. How many times has that occurred for you? Okay. So yeah, designed a program and followed it <laughs> word for word. Never. That's never happened. Um, a funny story though. <laughs> When I first when I first graduated, I did a an online personal training certification because like it's not regulated here in Canada or the US, right? Yeah, yeah. As it is in Australia. So it's a bit different. But yeah, like I came out of kin. So like I knew a lot of things, but I didn't know yeah, yeah. how to apply a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. And I remember programming for I was working at a strength and conditioning facility and I was programming for a couple of clients. And I'm like, why are we not getting through this program every single like it, we're giving an hour. I, 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 it's a perfect program. Like it's got hits all the major muscle groups, all the major movement patterns. And then I'm like, they must talk too much. Like it must just be my clients are just so slow and their rest periods full. And then I realized to myself, oh, programming 12 different exercises at three by whatever I was doing yeah, at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, okay. So that's not efficient at all. And yeah, so that's where my programming was. It's gotten a lot better. I'm no longer through that but yeah it never stays the same even even a within day program i don't think stays the same because when a client comes in like i've got a a list of things that i ask clients when they come in and i you know it's stuff about their sleep and their nutrition their water and stress and all those types of things like how are you feeling today and most of the time I've got to adjust because they're sore in an area or they didn't sleep well, or they didn't, you know, so I've got to modify based off of how they're feeling and the outcome that, as you say, that they want to get out of that individual session. So, 
And that's, that's, but that's really important for uh, the listeners to hear because I'm the same as you. I've never followed a program. That's not to say that we haven't got a program philosophy that we follow. It's to mm. say that every day a person comes into your establishment with based around four or five different things, sleep, nutrition, hydration, movement, pain, emotion, whatever it may be. Yeah. And if we don't address them based on that, then we're failing as coaches and trainers to give them the outcome that they need. So yeah, yeah and that's a really, really important gold nugget to take home at. Yeah. And I think uh, just to kind of finish off, you, like, you reminded me when you were talking about the self-care piece, because I just want to kind of finish it. It always brings me back, and I'm going to like paraphrase a quote from uh, the Black, uh, uh, Black Panther, and it's when the father says to the son, it's like a father who hasn't prepared his son for his absence hasn't mm. done his job as a father. And it's the same thing mm. as a trainer, as an allied help. Like mm-hmm. if you're not, your sole job is to prepare them to be without you, not Correct. to need you, as you said, for 12 Correct. years straight, three times a week. Like that, you know, um, so I always like to say too, because people come to me asking about allied health professionals, like, okay, well, you know, are chiros any good? Are, are, are physios mm-hmm. any good? You know, and I'm always like, well, I'll put it this way. I've, I've seen good and I've seen bad of every single type of allied health professional. Yeah. And if they're telling you they need three days a week and when you go in, they just, you know, as a, as a chiropractor, cause they usually get the worst rap and yeah. they're like, I need to crack you uh, three days a week for the next six weeks. I need to be with you. Like, and, cra- and yeah, that's not, that's not what you want. If they're not saying I'm going to help adjust some of this, these tissues, and then give you some homework that you can do on your own. And then I'll see you in a couple of weeks. If you have some, you know, a flare up, come and book in, but you know, I want to give you things to do on your own so you can be able to be better. So you can self-modulate your pain, right? So you can desensitize that yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Very true, mate. It's, it's the body's not that stupid that it needs to be told what to do we've got to give it a challenge give it a drill and then observe what happens to see how it responds and adapts you're exactly yeah. right so let's you you brought up um fascial mobilizers so that was kind of one of the things you just said that you would you give people so i just want to before we get into those and and kind of how you train the fascial system in, in a very intelligent way yeah can we just discuss, have a brief discussion about the fascial system as a whole and how those, those tissues, all seven of those tissues that you talked about all kind of interact. And I know that could probably be like an hour and a half conversation, <laughs> yeah. but just like a, a Cole's notes version yeah, yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. that. Okay. So if we just, if we stood back and just looked at the human being rather than the human body, the very first thing you see is skin. It's the very first thing you see, right? Which is fascial mm-hmm. tissue. Now, as we start to work with people, we'll notice that their skin will change color. Well, that's going to be circulation. And we know that when we're changing the color, that we're probably going to be changing energy levels. Well, there's going to be circulation of hormones in that, cir- in that circuitry system. Mm-hmm. So you've got this skin that covers everything on the outside of the body. And then you've got these things inside the body that we've been taught about, bones encased with fascia, nerves encased with fascia, um, tendons, ligaments. If you break them down and take certain components out, they're just fascia. Then you've got blood encased in fascia. Then you've got lymph encased in fascia. Then you've got fascia. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Now, it's kind of interesting because it's a nebulous material that's encompassing and invigilating of everything in the body. There's more fascial tissue in the brain than what there is in gray matter and fat. There's more fascial tissue in the viscera than what there is organs. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the role that fascia plays, for years we've ignored it and not understood it because we haven't asked the questions. And we're still not asking, I believe, questions that are appropriate as to the role of fascia, not just in movement, but how it stores emotion. Mm -hmm. Because that's a big one that I'm finding and I have been finding since 2007, hence why we brought play into the industry. But how we can change fascial tissue, how we can change emotional, mental uh, levels of people pretty quickly. But we need to understand, you know, nerve, muscle, bone, fascia, skin, 70% water, blood and lymph for a lot more. So we've got to understand that really what we are is a fluid-based system. Yeah. We're fluid and tension. That's really what we are. And if that's the case, and in my sporting career, a lot of the allied health professionals always looked at the nerve muscles. They didn't look at the fascial tissue, right? They didn't, you know, from a feel-soma perspective, and Phil Soma is my educational side of my business. I co-founded it with a guy called Rodney Corman, one of my best friends and colleagues and, and, uh, and mates. And, and Soma just stands for self-osteo myofascial application. Mm-hmm. So it looks at how do we change the fascial system? How do we change the muscular system? How do we help all of the systems through certain types of applications? So self-fascial mobilizers are a way of using movement with low speed, low force, to affect the fascial tissue around the bony section. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because those bony sections have a big bearing on how we get people to move, to breathe, to feel, to connect. It's a, it's really, really a powerful area. Yeah. Yeah. And the fluid, as you said, right? Like it's a fluid system when you're looking at the entire system as a whole, right? Yep. Fluid hydration, plays a big role. The movement of that fluid plays a big role as well. I know I had uh, Perry on, uh, man, way back, it was probably May, June. And uh, we talked all about fluid movement, like the lymph and and what stale fluids in and around the tissues in different areas can do to the body and its ability to pull in nutrients, get rid of waste and, yep. and, and heal. And so, uh, but also yeah. to add the next level is if we've got tissue or sorry, fluid in tissue that can't move and you've got these big, heavy muscular regions and then it goes into a knee and then you've got this big, heavy muscular region and it goes into a pelvis mm-hmm. and then you've got this big visceral muscular region that goes up into, into what we call shoulder ring up into your lymphatic duct. If anywhere along the way, that one of those bony regions, ankle, knee, pelvic, shoulder, gets blocked, gets restricted, the tree falls into the river and all of a sudden now the river's got a restriction. Yeah. That's going to create tension slash discomfort slash pain in that region. Has the potential to. Yeah. So people come to you with calf tightness. The calf tightness may be nothing more. Firstly, it may not be tightness. It may be a restriction in fluid flow. Yeah. It may be tautness. So we've got to start to look at these sorts of things because, you know, I've never been to a professional who's seen my body when I've been in discomfort and spoken about the lymphatic system. No. Such a huge area that yeah. we've got to really take notice of. Yeah, I don't think I've been, I've ever heard that from any, like the first time I ever actually 
talked about lymph or heard about lymph was talking with Perry when I did one of his courses, probably yeah, yeah. Uh, four and a half, five years ago. It was, it was before Phylex, but yeah. like, and I did a kindergarten. I didn't even like, we didn't talk about fascia back no. when I was like, right? Like, <laughs> As you said, it was just this inert tissue that we're like, eh, it's on the sur- it's like, it's like when you take, uh, you know, a pork tenderloin and there's like this, you just cut it off and then you deal with the meat underneath, right? Yeah, it's 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 um, it's crazy to think how much the industry has changed, even like in the, you know, fifteen years or so that I've yeah. kind of been in it, in it, and. Yeah it's changed drastically because there's just like, yeah. it's a, it's a young industry. It's constantly changing. There's constantly new information. People yeah. come like think differently, ask, start asking different questions. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So let's talk now, get into how do we move fluid better? Because you mentioned like, if we just get some fluid moving and like we, yeah. maybe we use the example of maybe calf tightness and maybe the shoulder just to make it, you know, yeah. simple. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know it's not quite that simple, but let's just make it simple ish yeah, yeah. and just talk about kind of two areas on opposite ends of the body and how Perfect. we can get that fluid moving a little bit better. So if we look at the ankle ring and the ankle ring from a field summer perspective, we sort of talk about the ankle ring from halfway down the calf to the toes. Now, what we would suggest is if we looked at the ankle and said, wow, okay. Does it look like a really muscular region? Well, not really. It looks pretty bony to me. And if I know that every bone has a lot of periosteum fascia Mm -hmm. and there's lots of ligaments and tendons fascia, and then there's lots of circulation and lymphatic that starts in the foot and moves up. The first thing I'd be saying is, wow, I've got 33 joints in that foot. I wonder how well those 33 joints move. I wonder if the rear of the foot and the fore of the foot can actually move against each other so that they actually create a pumping effect. Yeah. Because realistically, the foot becomes a biofeedback system, it becomes a pumping system, it becomes a movement system. So if we wanted to take some sort of, let's call it tension out of the calf, let's say a client says they feel tension, they feel tightness. Now, once again, we've been told many things that I believe are dogma in our industry, you know, that glutes don't fire, that your core's not working and your core's from your, you know, basically your pubis to your neck and we know it's from your toes to your tongue. Yeah. Now, if we start looking at that and go, okay, so if I've got a feeling of tension in my calf and that tension may be a feeling of tightness because that's what I've been taught. Well, generally when tissue is tight, if we look at where the tissue originates and, and attaches, those points would come together to create a tightness. Now, if that would happen, then the tissue here would have less tension in it. So Mm. therefore the nerve endings would fire less. It's generally when you have too much tension in an area that now the proprioceptors start to say what's going on here that serve messages to the brain. So the tissue may not be tight, but taut. Yeah. If it's taut, the last thing we want to do is stretch it. Yeah. Because it's saying I'm already being over or outside my threshold, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the easiest ways to take tension from the calf area would be one, move the ankle, mobilize the ankle, maybe put a ball under the foot and just gently start to move it. And I'm saying gently, not don't be running up and down the foot madly. Just let the 33 joints now start to adapt 
because what you're trying to do is if I used an MB5 ball from trigger point or I used a, a softball or a lacrosse ball, mm-hmm. I don't need to push down hard. I just need to get the skin now to start to get some sort of dragging effect, some sort of pumping effect. Now, that pumping effect is going to push fluid out and allow the fluid to come back in and push fluid out and allow the fluid to come back in. Mm-hmm. Because between each layer of fascia, we know there's a glycaminoglycan, mm-hmm. which is just like snot, right? It's, it's your yeah. lubricant. Yeah. So the whole thing about me, well, for me, is that if I wanted to get someone to take tension out of their calf, the first thing I'd do is mobilize the foot or apply some sort of self-care tissue management application whether it be a a roller or a ball to the foot and then just allow it to move in a manner in which it looks like life so in other words i might stand a person up they might stand on one leg and i might get them just to have a you know one and a half stance bend their knees so they've got their weight on their big toe little toe and heel so now they're grounded into the into the into the floor i might just get them to let their knee go forward and then stand up And then I might get them to rotate their hips left to right. And I want them to feel what's happening. Now, I could goniometer you. I could put you on the table and measure it. But what's that tell me? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Because Mm -hmm. I'm not gravity, ground ground force, mass and momentum. I'm not in life. On a table, I'm actually in an artificial stabilized situation. Yeah. So now that I'm standing my foot and I can feel, yeah, okay, my calf feels restricted. It feels like there's tension. Now I apply some type of movement and the movement might simply be, okay, I'm going to get you to stand on that same leg, put your hands on your hips, and I'm going to get you with a tall spine to drive your hips from left to right. Now, what would happen if I drove my hips right, standing on my right leg, my trunk would want to go to the left because what's happening is my right hip's going to raise a little bit. My left hip's going to fall a little bit because that's the motion. What I'm creating now is lateral motion and transverse motion of the ankle but in a threshold that's non-threatening yeah also what i'm creating is a pumping effect of the fluid mm-hmm. now the beautiful thing about standing on us you know with one and a half stance i've got one leg down and my left foot's just balancing me like a like an outrigger as soon as i move my hips i move my knees yeah as soon as i move my knees i move my ankles right yeah we know the gig we know what's going on so then I would get the person to go back and just go drive their knee forward two or three times, rotate the knee, and I will guarantee you there will be a change in the feeling mm-hmm. of the tissue. Now, that's pretty cool because you go, wow. And you'll be surprised to stand a person on one leg and do a really small movement, and they might be a person who runs 10 kilometers a day, yeah. six miles a day, and they'll do that and go, wow, my calf's fatigued. Yeah. All right. So what's that telling you about the ability for the ankle to move because you're doing a running motion generally on a bitumen road or some sort of thing like that and it's putting repetitive movement and the tissues are just gluing down. So therefore 33 joints turn into 24 joints of actual three-dimensional movement. Yeah. So that's one way we could get the ankle to move. Shoulder, love it. Really, really love it. What we could do here is, and I'm going to take someone into a position where really simply... I might just get them to stand in front of a filing cabinet and put their hands on a filing cabinet, mm-hmm. right? Now, all I want them to do is same. I want them to have even weight distribution on their feet and standing on both feet. I'm going to take their shoes off. Let's say they're in an office, right? And they're getting, they're getting shoulder pain from potentially being on the computer, which we know is going to lead into potentially a headache, some sort of tension through that neck. 
I might just get them to put their hands on a filing cabinet. All I'm going to do now is take their shoes off so their socks or their bare feet can feel the tile floor or the carpet, doesn't matter. And I'm going to leave the hands on the filing cabinet. All I'm going to get them to do now is I want them to focus on their breath. I want them to let their shoulder blades just fall off their spine so that they're relaxed. And I want them to, to, to focus on breathing into their tummy and letting them come into exhale and then breathing into their tummy. So that diaphragmatic breath. Now, some people are going to find the breathing hard enough without even doing yeah. anything, right? But let's just say the person gets the diaphragmatic breath. Then what they're going to do, their hands are going to stay stationary, but they're going to move their hips from left to right. Mm -hmm. Now, haven't moved the shoulder. Shoulder's completely safe because my hands are on the filing cabinet. Yeah, I've got my knees bent. I've got my feet connected. I've got my hips moving. So all of a sudden, I've got a pumping effect that's taking place. I'm moving my body around my femur, around sorry, around my humerus, rather than moving my humerus around my body. Yeah. So now I'm creating fluid pumping in the shoulder. I'm actually helping the lymphatic duct, which sits just oh, sorry, which is just beside, just uh, below my left clavicle. So I'm taking the tissue of the shoulder ring i'm pumping because i'm now starting to create a washing machine motion i'm taking the tissue of the pelvis doing the same thing now my body starts to get some form of neural activation gets a mechanical pattern change and gets a fluid response yeah pretty simple it. right i love it Nothing blew my mind more than the time I realized that turning your head to the right or staring in the same position and turning to your left is the same thing like that. Like when I first heard that, that blew my mind. And so you're talking about doing the same thing, but with the shoulders now, right? Like, and it's, it's interesting when people start to be, when people can start putting together the kinetic chain and thinking about it, like when I move this joint, that like that joint, that joint, that joint, that joint, they're all going to be affected in one way or another, regardless yeah. of even whether they move, right? Yeah. Even if a joint doesn't move, it's still feeling the change in tension in, in Absolutely. the fascial tissues. So I love the, because you keep mentioning safety, right? Like that's that the ankles in a safe position, the, the hips in a safe position, the shoulders in the safe position, and I'm now not asking the shoulder to do the motion. I'm letting other joints in the body that maybe don't have pain or don't have stiffness do the motion. And almost like, I, I like to call it tricking the body, right? You're like, you're tricking yeah, yeah. the body into doing what you want it to do. I love it. So when we're looking at now, like getting into intelligent movement within the, the bulk of a training session, Right, yep. because that's that's great to get uh, fluid moving, maybe desensitize some areas, uh, decrease stiffness or tautness. Yep. Right, as you were discussing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But or 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 if we go back and maybe looked at what Perry talks about, stagnancy, yeah. lack of fluid flow. I mean, these are the beautiful things. It doesn't matter. And this is what I think Ed gets really important is if we can use these type of words. Now we become inclusive of more Eastern philosophies as well as Western philosophies. Yeah. Because you'll hear Eastern philosophies talk about stagnancy, poor flow of fluid, stagnant chi, all those, because all it is is energy, right? Yeah, yeah. All it is is energy. Let's, let's, let's forget the semantics about saying this is that. And this is, no, 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 no. We are a human being. We have got to address everything, not some things. Yeah. Yeah, I can't pick and choose 
No. You know, I'm, I'm going to address these tissues today and not address those tissues today. <laughs> yeah, that's a word. <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to touch the nervous system today. It's going to be entirely the muscular system. That's it. That's all we're going to do there's today. Been, there's been some amazing people over the years. I'll never forget, we're sitting in, in Denver one night and um, many years ago now, and I'm sitting next, next, next to a great friend of mine, Greg Roscoff, who's just one of the loveliest guys, one of the smartest guys I know. And of course, Greg does muscle activation technique. Well, trust me, he does much more than that. But yeah. that's what he has. It's one of his original um, founding uh, systems. So, and what was interesting, he, he led me and said, AD, you've got to talk to me about this fascist stuff. I said, Greg, you're so far ahead. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you've been doing fascist stuff for years, mate. Yeah. And it was just beautiful because this is the thing, right? We, we think... You know, like everyone goes, oh, AD, you're the fascia guy. No, I'm not. Oh, you're the play guy. No, I'm not. Oh, you know, you're the, no, I'm a person, I'm a performance coach. And if you want to talk about sending people to the Olympics, I can do that. If you want to talk about having people be able to get up at three o'clock in the morning after they've had a child two weeks ago and they've got a pelvic floor problem, I can help them with that. If you've got a, ch a child with a learning disability, I can help you with that. Because if we understand how with everything affects everything, yeah. well, now we can help most people because we can empower them with an understanding of why those things are happening. Right, mate? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So something has always amazed me and I can't remember who was the first one who said, I don't know whether it was you, so I might give you the credit, but you, if it wasn't you, don't say it wasn't. <laughs> if, if, it, if it was smart, it probably wasn't me. <laughs> Somebody once, somebody once told me, they're like, yeah, have you ever, have you ever seen a dog wake up and stretch for 15 minutes before going for a run? Right. Yeah, like one of the first things, I, first things I used to say was we've never walked a horse out of a stable. Have you ever seen a horse do a hamstring stretch or, you know, yeah. stretch, Let's, stretch the one second, quad stretch, quad stretch. It <laughs> can on, do two legs at a time, right? I just got to go in the gym and do a chest press, yeah. you know, just to sort of get some power here. <laughs> but it's always amazed me that we constantly think about, okay, movement prep. I've got to prepare my movement, meaning that I have to do, you know, whether it's stretching, mobilizations, whether it's soft tissue work, whatever, yeah. in order to get yeah. my body in the position to then move. Mm -hmm. But I'm always interested in how can I make my body more pliable so I don't necessarily have to spend as much time doing yep. all of that prep before movement. Now, yep. granted, most people, most clients are sedentary most of the day, then come and see you and you can't just, you know, get them to sprint as fast as they can for a hundred meters, you know, multiple times in a row. So how can we within the session and even coaching outside of the session, because once again, self-care how can we better improve the pliability of the tissues so they respond better on a day-to-day -day basis as opposed to just in the gym itself? Look, I think there's been some amazing people. I don't think I know there's been some amazing people in our industry. And I, Michelle Delcourt, you know, founder of Institute of Motion and Viper, Viper Pro, um, termed the phase loaded movement training. And it's interesting because when you look at the way we condition athletes and we've all conditioned them, you know, some to the elite level, some not, but every athlete is the same in the fact that they're all human beings. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, the biggest thing that 
I understand now is from my injuries, hence why I have a feeling of what goes on at that level. Um, only focusing on that one or two tissues has been detrimental to a lot of athletes and it's created an ending to their career. Yeah. So, you know, if we're talking about, if we're talking about preparing and creating pliability, then we need to do a few things. You know, you touched on it before. Make sure that we eat and hydrate reasonably well. It doesn't matter if you're a bit sedentary. You know, you might be a person who sits at a desk for 10 hours a day. You know, do that five days a week. That's 50 hours on your butt, right? We might say, yeah. that's a sedentary person. Yes, it is, but it's an occupational hazard. Yeah. Don't judge it as a negative. It's just what people have to do. So what could I do to change that? Well, if it is a fluid and tension system, I might get up and get some really simple movements that I could do in the office that might take one minute. Because if I'm sitting for 90 minutes and do one minute of exercise and it changes the patterns of my body, because that's all the body does recognizes yeah. patterns, yeah. bang, I'm going to do it, right? If I'm a person who has some type of, let's call it chronic area, and as you say, it becomes sensitive, um, we could desensitize it. We could increase fluid flow through movement or using some sort of technique or application with a roller or a ball or vibration or breathing. Breathing's a big one. Or more importantly, I've had lots of people who have come in with chronic condition and we've done some running drills on the yeah. wall, which has really just been, you know, stepping and movement patterns. And guess what? The chronic pain has disappeared. Athletes who have got chronic hamstrings who don't have chronic hamstrings anymore because yeah. it wasn't the hamstring, the hamstrings where the pain was. Yeah. So it's it's realistically, if I'm going to prepare for something and, and I go to training with the AFL boys, I'm doing the conditioning this year and they'll train for probably 70 minutes, no more. Um, I don't do any 1K time trials, 2K time trials. I don't do 400s. Why? Because... If I did that with a horse, I have the potential of not only breaking it down, but under-recovering it yeah. because I understand their system. And it's interesting now, Ed, the latest research is coming out saying that the maximum 100% intensity in a sprint of NFL, rugby, soccer, AFL, whatever, three seconds. Yeah. And if you are training at 100% capacity for longer than 30 seconds, it may take you hours to recover. Yeah. Right. Now, that's coming from uh, Carmen, Carmen Dutton. I think she's a Canadian researcher. Um, and you're thinking, we've got coaches all around the world who don't get that. And you're thinking, yeah. we're breaking players down because we don't understand it. If you're playing a sport, your preparation should look like that sport. Yeah. And it should be, hopefully, in some sort of play manner because I've never seen a good athlete who's in a shit mood play well. <laughs> yeah. Right? So yeah. when I do, when we do warm-ups over here, we might do 15 minutes of running drills, which is actually probably nine, but it will be various types of running drills and I'll have them in various positions from sports position. They'll do rolls, spins, but they always have a ball in their hand, right? So they'll yeah. do it over... 15 meters and they get a, a reward of catching and kicking a ball. Yeah. And all you see is smiles on their faces yeah. and to see what they're doing. It's just amazing because their, their performance is going up, their fitness is going up, their strength is going up. And yet we're actually having some fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
So pliability of the material of your body really is, it's a 24-7 thing. Hydration, nutrition, important. Sleep, massively important. When we get emotionally stressed, you know what it's like, mate. Our, Our body becomes lethargic. Our skin becomes, you know, sticky. Sensitivity starts to creep in. Clarity starts to disappear. Cloudiness of the brain, all those things. You know, movement, move like you're going to live. Don't move like you're going to a gym. Yeah. Okay, move like you have to, if you're in the garden, if you're a, if you're a person who's on a farm, they've got the best lives because they're, they're, you know, they're driving posts and they're carting hay, they're pulling out animals, they're, they're lifting, twisting, turning multiple directions. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, for me, it's, it's um, if we use our common sense, we can get some pretty cool results. And it's not a matter of having to do lots and lots. It's a matter of doing efficient stuff to get intelligent motion. Yeah. I love it. And um, I want to get into the play stuff because I know that's a big part of what you do. And I first heard about it through you, but I want to take a short little break first and um, we'll end part one here and then we'll pick the play up in part number two. State of the Industry Podcast.